Good day, everybody, and welcome to episode 157 of Effect. Back to where it all began. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And amazingly, we have a full programme for you um, today. Yesterday evening, we had nothing, but... Uh, <laughs> But Dave's pulled it out of the bag. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to Im immediately apologise. Uh, I haven't done my homework, uh, but I'm not going to apologise because total, total, I've been bloody busy this last week. Well, I've been bloody busy too, and I managed to carve I'm out sure, time. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure, yeah. I'm not saying you haven't been busy, um, <laughs> which is why you had to do your homework first thing this morning and why we're only recording this afternoon. Yes. That, that's fine. That's fine. We've both been busy. Later on in the show, maybe I, I thought we could talk a little bit about how we've been busy. Yes, and um, and the sort of reading we have been doing that meant that we couldn't work on um, the topics we arranged. So this is not the special all about Mutant Year Zero that it was going to be, but there is some Mutant Year Zero content because Dave has finally done his homework. Uh, we've also got the world of gaming. Um, there's some a bunch of interesting things to talk about there. Some PDFs dropping and um, some new Kickstarters starting. Uh, and with with a little bit of controversy mixed in on those, um, I thought you weren't going to bother mentioning the controversy. And it, well, I, I think the other thing we discussed earlier that we that I will mention is also a little bit controversial. Okay, there we go. Fine. And then we've got uh, Dave's uh, piece on the Silver City, and then rather than my piece on Mutant Year Zero Gen Lab Alpha, we have got. Uh, why we haven't done Mutant Year Zero Gen Lab Alpha and what we have been doing in, instead. And so that is today's programme. Sound good to you, Dave? It sounds great to me. And um, I'm glad one of us had the organisation skills to... Yeah, I'd like to point out that one of us who is still actually kind of working at the moment, although I know you are looking for a job. Um, yeah, I'm I'm back on my PhD, though. Oh, so of that course, yeah, you're... Work. Your endless PhD has come back yeah, again. Yeah, I've got the final list of corrections in. And you know, I said to you, it wasn't, you know, there's nothing terribly surprising there. Actually, now that I've listed everything I need to do, I am a bit surprised that okay. I've still got quite a lot to do. <laughs> but um, there we go. So your tutors, your supervisors, are they holding on to a bunch of corrections just for the next time? Uh, so no, so one of the is one of the things they said is, oh, don't worry about the external examiner's um, her separate report. Just concentrate what's on the main report. And now they've said, you know what? I reckon you ought to address all the external examiner's content, <laughs> comments as well. Um, and uh, oh. I thought, well, most of that is in because that was the reason they said, don't bother about that. They said the main reports covered her, but actually, uh, so I thought there's a few little typos and things, but there there's not typos. There's like uh what is this 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 particular form of auto ethnography all about and stuff like that so i've got to you know i've got to read up on auto ethnography now but there we go uh i <laughs> um, still think uh, it will only take me a couple of weeks and well that's I'm good done. that's good um i also don't believe you for a moment that there aren't any typos or errors in it because I've, uh, yeah. I've proofread your stuff, mate, and <laughs> you have you have the, the the unique ability to put in typos and errors and stuff where nobody else can. You know? Absolutely, no, I, I I I hold my hand up to that. Loads of people have proofread this already, of course. So there's only the corrections in theory that need to be. Um, <laughs> uh, type. So, but actually, none of these people pointed out any bold typos. I thought this. 
about three pages of stuff and there was a you know i thought when i read it before there's a few things that were typos but actually there's very little that's typos most of it is is slightly more work but there we go i, I just Soon suspect, it will be I done do, i do suspect that the um the headline from them was we think this is um plagiarized work because there aren't any typos in it <laughs> <laughs> no it isn't i think i i think I'm a, i was right on the border about whether this is worth a phd or not but thank god after my viva, they decided it was worth a PhD. Yeah. There we go. Uh, and uh, scientists out there listening to this, it's a humanities PhD, so it's a softest shite. Um, <laughs> it's nothing like a proper PhD. I, you know, I hold my hands up to that one, but uh, there we go. Right. Shall we get on with our new patrons? Yes. Because we've got two new patrons to Excellent. thank today. Welcome. Welcome. And, uh, they are um, uh, John. Uh, John, I'm going to mangle your name here. It's Swedish, and also, um, I don't know which bit of it is maybe a middle initial, or which bit of it is uh, actually <laughs> your surname. But I'm going to go with John Lundgren. Jungren. Jungren. That's we, it. We're, yeah, thank we're you. thinking. John, please correct us the moment <laughs> you hear this, if we are wrong, and we will fulsomely apologize in the next episode and pronounce it correctly but that's what we think it is but anyway and john, john will correct us because he is another at new and active participant on the discord so welcome john yeah, welcome john and thank, thank you, you for your input you really dived in particularly on dave thompson's setting for forbidden lands yeah uh, and dave is looking for feedback and john's dived right in on there and giving really good constructive feedback it's been a pleasure to watch and steve not as well welcome. who is also on the Discord, so we don't have to admonish him like we did Stacy in the last episode of <laughs> uh, not turning up on the Discord. Steve, Steve is there on the Discord as well. Uh, so thank you. Brilliant. Welcome. Both and thank for you. your pledge yes. and for your contribution to our little community. Yeah, I mean, we love it when, when patrons join and then get stuck in into the Discord because it's a great community and we have a lot of fun. And that's where we get, you know, the, the, the majority of the, the benefit out of all of this. I mean, obviously, the the, the, the donations um, are super appreciated and they help us pay for things like, uh, you know, the StreamYard and, and all that kind of stuff, which is brilliant. Yeah, and the Zoom. But actually, you know, the thing that we really see day in, day out is is the fabulous contribution from all those people in our little community. So thank you. And keep keep it up. Keep coming. It's brilliant stuff. Yeah. And, and since the theme is back to where we all start, well, where it all began, although this isn't where it all began... Uh -huh. When we started the Patreon, one of the reasons we started the Patreon was because Patreon was about to change their terms. And I realized that if we didn't start then, if we started at that point, um, there were better terms, basically. Yeah. And if we started a bit later on, the terms were considerably worse. Um, but we, you know, we hadn't really thought about starting the Patreon then and, and what it would mean. And so we did quite a little rapid bit of thinking about how do we cover the costs of the, you know, the servers and the hosting we wanted to do and the second stream we wanted to do and all of that. But what I didn't realize and think of at the time was just how much of a, we, I, I knew we'd build a community via the Patreon, but I didn't realize the real genuine benefit to you and me mm. for a new group of friends with you know shared interests that we've gathered around us in the patreon and that for me is a hidden benefit of the patreon and i just want to say thank you to all yes. our patrons for genuinely being nice people uh both to each other and to us it's it's a real pleasure it having is. you in our gang and i'd like to just point out that i think i just said that 
much yeah, more, much I know. more succinctly. And I'm just repeating it as well. Because earlier, you know. It's only dawned on me recently, <laughs> despite the fact you've been saying it for bloody weeks, Dave. But, um, uh, just yeah, thought i point that out. You know, never, never knowingly under loquacious, are you, Matthew? So... Uh, no, no, no. Well, we have got an hour to film, mate. And I haven't done anything on... <laughs> That's true. You have missed out on your homework. So, yes, keep going, mate. That's fine. Don't let me stop you. Right, let's move on, though, shall we, <laughs> to the world of gaming. Yes, go on then. Go on then. Um, um, well, the, so... first, the first thing I was going to mention was um, Project Cassandra. A uh, project by our friend of the show, Craig, is... And patron. And patron. Yes, absolutely. And star of Alien the Colony and currently yes. in quarantine with some horrible disease. Um, yeah. Pro- project Comes Cassandra, his, his latest Kickstart project is now in fulfillment. So he is in the process of getting the PDFs punted out to all the um, all the people who backed it, which is great news. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to Craig. And um, it's a great little game. I mean, I haven't played it. I've had a look at it and I've listened to uh, our patrons who have played it and yeah. they uniformly love it and think it's great. So brilliant. Congratulations, Craig, for getting that done. And I think there's a couple of slight technical issues at the moment, but congratulations on fulfillment. And I hope it goes a long, long way. It deserves to. Yeah. And those technical issues um, might not be, the might time not be technical recording, issues at all anyway. Dave has set up the um, email notifications that we should Craig get has, in. Not Dave. Craig has, yeah. Well, Dave, and and you didn't help. No. Well, if you had, it would have been totally. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I did have good to idea. Comment. Thank I you for ha- not helping, Dave. I did, I did have to comment. Well, clear of Craig setting up the email. Um, well, no, but- my my help was going on Discord when when Craig was um, complaining about the problem, saying, "Oh, that sounds terrible. I'm really sorry. I can't help." <laughs> Was yes, the sum yeah. of my, so but it was, the rest it was of us are really grateful support, that you haven't support. tried to help, Dave. Because we know about your technical ability. <laughs> yeah, that is and, true. <laughs> and so at the moment, at the time of recording, Craig isn't aware of anybody having received their emails. So he's a little bit concerned, but I'm sure over the weekend, emails will start popping in. Or if not, on Monday, probably when you're listening to this, uh, mm-hmm. Craig will be sorting all of that out and emails and it, will be coming. It might simply short. be an internal itch.io admin point yeah, anyway sure it so yeah. it might not actually be a glitch at all it just might be that this process takes a little time anyway one email cool. that we have all received is the digital copy of twilight 2000 indeed i'm i haven't looked at it yet <laughs> uh no me neither uh i it's still uh it's still in um in the ether of drive through rpg oh i have downloaded um, it and i've now got it on oh, my computer i haven't even downloaded computer, it yeah. no uh, but yes, what with everything else, I haven't had the, the chance to look at it in any great detail. Uh, well, at all yet, in fact. Um, but we do have a game coming up in ooh, about ooh, maybe three or four weeks that our friend, friend of the show, Andy, is going to run for us. Um, yeah, and we'll probably stream that as well. So uh, if you want to see the new uh, Twilight 2000 in action, yeah, then look out on our YouTube yep, or that our looks Twitch. Good. Yep. So on that note, actually, interesting enough, Andy was talking about that. That's going to be the first scenario, and they would run a um, a session zero at some point in advance of that. I think it would be quite good to run the session zero as part of the stream, whether we yeah. do it, whether we or, do it or, as a separate one in advance, or whether we do it on the night would be, I guess, up to Andy. But I always find I yeah. think that's a really good a really good thing to expose to um, you know those people who are interested to watch it. Um, so I'd quite like to do that. As the stream, okay, if, well, if, if we'll Andy is willing. Yeah. 
and see what he says. Yeah. Um, cool. So that's uh, that's Twilight 2000. I think there's no more we can say. If neither of us have actually looked at it, then uh, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> uh, uh, you have received the hard copy of Dune. So talk, you can yeah, tell talk, me all about that one. So talking of things that I haven't had much time to, to have a proper look at yet. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I received my hard copy of Dune. Um, I said, Dune, I said, you mean? Dune. It's, it's like that bloody advert. Tunes. I think you mentioned Dune. that before. Make you too gloriously. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I got it. I've had a quick flick through it. It's it's a lovely looking book. It's beautifully produced. Um I haven't had a great deal of chance to dive into the content yet, but I also got the Game Master screen, which is a big screen. I'm mm. kind of in favour of smaller screens, personally. Big, but, big in what way? How do you mean big? Big uh, tall or big long? Or it's, what? It's, it's wide and tall. So it's four oh, frames. Right. It basically, it's four pages, four frames wide. It, it, it folds up really nicely. It's very nicely designed and built and made. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's... Uh, Modifius have a habit... Or at least I, I said this in the experience of the games that I've played, where I've seen their GM screens, which is I guess Star Trek, they tend to be really oh, big, it. and the Star Trek one is really quite big as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I, yeah, so that's that's big. It's it's packed full of information. It's I think it's got a lot of really useful information actually. Um, but again, I need to get through and really work out how the game runs before I know how useful that is. But I guess for me, I, I quite like smaller game master screens because i don't want to screen my whole area off from the players i want to screen a bit of it and the bigger the screen yeah. the, the harder it is to screen a bit of it um but yeah so it also came with a um a character journal which is a lovely little book um but it's basically it's a notebook so it looks nice. Does it does it have printed sort of character sheet stuff in the notebook or is it just it, a notebook notebook? No it does but it, it's of a, of a notebook, there's probably about 80 pages. I think five of them are probably characters. So I don't know whether they're thinking 15 pages or something is what you need for each character for your journal. Mm. Um, so I, I was I was looking forward to... I, I saw it and thought, oh, great, character sheets. And I was looking forward to going through it and be able to tear out the character sheets. And it's, you know, like the old character sheet pads no, you used to get for D&D. D&D. Yeah, you used to, used to love that. That was great. Um, it's always good having more character sheets than you could possibly ever use, which is brilliant. Uh, so I was slightly disappointed with that, actually. Mm. Um, but it's a it's a it's a very nice little book. I suspect it's probably overpriced for a for, for a little notebook, but um, I have it nonetheless. And I also yeah, have it's a Dune notebook, Dave. It's a Dune notebook, yes. I also have five yeah, very nice D twenties, which are sort of yellow and gold. Um, it, I mean, Modifius do produce nice dice. I've got quite a lot of Star Trek dice um, in different colours. Um, yeah, you can never have too many dice. So these look quite nice. I'll probably use those when I play a D20 game next. Yeah. Cool. And uh, news hot off the presses, uh, Twilight 2000 has been out for a day, but they've already updated the PDF files. A lot so of people, I think they might have got some feedback. A lot of people were obviously very keen to look through it in detail the moment they got it. <laughs> point out the typos. And point out the typos, yes. Well, I guess if, is, if, if it's only one day, I suggest there probably aren't that many, but it yeah. probably probably suggests they might be quite big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. If they rushed out a, a correction already. Uh, anyway, so that's the latest news. Um, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, where are we? Uh, in our, uh, A couple of Kickstarters yeah. to mention. Yep. Um, actually, I'm, I'm going to go slightly off script here and mention another one that, that Phil was talking about. And his other one is called Broken Compass. Look it up on Kickstarter. Uh, Phil has backed it. We okay. talked about uh, temples and tombs. Uh, and one of the games we're talking about is also covering a similar sort of area. Broken Compass is kind of Indiana Jones style pulp adventuring. There's quite a lot of that going on at the moment. Yeah, I, I, it feels to me there is a, um, a Zeitgeist, is there not, of... Um, People wanting Zeitgeist, Zeitgeist, whatever. Zeit, zeitgeist, I think. But, yeah. <laughs> zeitgeist. Uh, pe- people seem to be craving uh, two-fisted pulp action, and it seems to be being delivered in the spades. Um, but the guy, uh, Phil, who is not only a patron of ours, but runs the Dark Orb, is going to be putting a session together, oh. I think, next Wednesday. And I think I can join it, so I'll, I'll be able to talk more about that now. Okay. But look that up on Kickstarter, or put a link in the show notes. Um, but then the two things that are on our script are Motherland, Into the Motherland RPG, yeah. which is an Afro-futurist RPG. Mm-hmm. And this is the one that's got a little bit of interesting controversy about it. We were discussing this. It hasn't yet got a system attached to it. If you look at the um, the Kickstarter page to see, well, yeah, but how does the game work? What are the mechanics? There's yeah. nothing on there. Apart from a recently added uh, frequently asked question, I guess because people were frequently asking, well, yeah, but what system is it? Mm-hmm. Which um, suggests, and, and in fact, I've, you know, I've been following them on Twitter and they've been doing an actual play and that actual play has been in Cortex. So part of me is wondering um, why aren't they committing to Cortex now? And I had a brief discussion, in fact, with um, somebody on Phil's uh, server which I may even be able to name check him shortly because I didn't think to look about this before the uh, before the event, and uh, he came up with an interesting idea, which is Cortex is owned by Fandom. Fandom are a company behind a lot of YouTube channels. Fandom are also, I believe, the company behind D and D Beyond, the sort of mm. online service of D and D. Yeah. And I definitely remember when Fandom um, kind of rescued Magic Vacuum, who are the publishers of the Cortex Prime um, Kickstarter. They said, you know, we're, we're, we want to build an online community with lots of streaming and I'm sure an online marketplace where great games can be, you know, streamed and bought uh, and, and possibly played a VVT as well. I don't know, a, a VVT, VTT, uh, a virtual tabletop. And I wonder whether these guys are not committing to Cortex yet because they want to see how successful their Kickstarter is and then turn around to fandom and say, well, yeah, but what do we get out of using Cortex for this system? Because we're all talented people. We can write our own system if we, you know, we don't use Cortex. And and maybe get fandom coming to say, well, okay, this is what you get. Either a guaranteed shows or even here's a lump sum of cash or licensing deal or preferential treatment or whatever so that's my controversy it's it's possible i mean i i i it's not unusual for a game to be on kickstarter to say very little about the mechanics it's planning to use so it might simply be that they haven't really like you say they haven't settled on the best approach but from a game perspective rather than from a wider how can we hook in greater interest perspective 
I'm just speculating. I don't know. Um, but I mean, there's, there's, like you said, there's quite a lot of, uh, um, you know, the, the people who are behind this are are well known YouTubers and so you know, gaming celebrities, mostly African Americans um, or Hispanic Americans. Uh, B. Dave you know, Walters, who's a friend of the show, he's appeared on our on our panel last indeed, year about yeah. different backgrounds. He's one of the uh, one of the gang there. And he's a bit of a celebrity in the vampire streaming world. And yeah. I think they're all of them, you know, they have a degree of celebrity in the online system. So they have cultural capital, I think, which they can sell to um to uh to fandom if if fandom bite. Mm. I think they will bring an audience with them. And this is an interesting thing. I'm I'm kind of um I you know, me, I'm I'm currently unemployed, so I'm not backing any Kickstarters um generally at the moment um and so i'm not going to back this one but i'm going to watch it with interest mm. i may even put a dollar in so that i can <laughs> uh see what the gossip is on the on the comments and the updates and stuff yeah like well they are, they are doing very well i mean they're they've got 29 days to go they've already got over 2100 backers and 113,000 dollars 130,000 pounds um whatever that is in dollars um against their against their their pledge of 35,000 so it's doing well. It's got a long time to run. So I think these guys are on to uh, onto a winner here, I suspect. Yes. And we talked about friends. We have so many friends on this show now. Another friend of the show is involved <laughs> in another Kickstarter. This isn't one of his. Dave Chapman, who we've talked to about, uh, well, actually we talked to Stu Goff uh, directly about uh, Dave Chapman's Wild, which yeah. is uh, also coming close to fulfillment shortly. Um but Dave Chapman has done some content already for a game called The Awfully Cheerful Engine. Mm. And The Awfully Cheerful Engine is gaming like it was meant to be in the 80s, and it may even be... Well, one of the adventures, the one that Dave wrote, in fact, is Ghostbusters with the IP carefully filed off. Um, and given that it's got a forward <coughs> by Sandy you know, Peterson... I, I do have... I do have... Uh, you know, I have a... A, f a kind of slightly uncomfortable feeling when people like you say it's Ghostbusters with the IP filed off because that that is kind of putting the IP back on it again, <laughs> almost, isn't it? Yeah, well, there it's is. It's like, hang on, they've made the effort to file the IP off. Let's not spoil it. You know. <laughs> yeah, bye. Sorry, sorry, mate. And whoever's uh, buying Ghostbusters now, I know you've got a new movie coming out. You'll be. Very protective of your IP, um, particularly after delaying that movie for a year. Ignore what I said. If you are a Hollywood <laughs> producer or indeed uh, an executive from whoever owns Ghostbusters now in the recent mergers and acquisitions that have been taking place, um, then ignore this whole conversation. I never said it. And it's I think a ghost game that may or may not involve an ambulance is all I'm saying. May or may not involve busting ghosts. But, yes, um... I, but I'm sure they don't bust the ghosts. I'm sure they imprison them in some other form of ghost receptacle and they probably don't ever cross the beams. Phew, got out of that one. Allegedly. That's 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 what they use say on the TV whenever they say anything like this. Allegedly it's Ghostbusters with the IP filed off. I think we need I think we need to uh, you know run this one past our legal department. Um uh, which right. which which is me. So uh, okay. yeah. Allegedly is the word we need to go for big time. Allegedly. Right. Allegedly. Uh, so Ooh. the Awfully Cheerful Engine does more than Ghostbusters, though. <laughs> it does lots of other things. It does Indiana Jones with uh, the IP uh, file. <clears throat> allegedly. <laughs> it allegedly does Stranger <laughs> Things with the IP filed off. 
Stop it. Stop it. Um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm personally, ta- me, Dave Seymour, is personally taking no responsibility for what Matthew Tyler Jones is saying right now. So do not uh, sue effect. Sue Tyler Jones. Great. There we go. Oh, that's, what um, the, that's what the legal department's for. Getting my ass out of the fire. Right. Yes. Anyway. Yes. Uh, are you a fan of the Ghostbusters RPG from the 1980s? They say. Danger Mouse or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Uh, Bill and Ted or Rick and Morty Back to the Future Indiana Jones Dracula <laughs> then the awfully cheerful engine is here for you I think um, I think their file has been filed down to just a you know they've been doing a lot of IP filing <laughs> I think, here I think their file doesn't have any actual grit in it <laughs> nice try Dave but I'm afraid you're fucked <laughs> <laughs> well it's not Dave so uh, uh, this is not being published directly by Dave it's being no, published true. by Emerald Publishing by Morrissey. Uh, Morrissey? No, not by Morrissey. (laughs) (laughs) By Morris, uh, who who, uh, has a very successful podcast of his own. I'm sure he's talking about it even as we speak and recording a whole bunch of announcements for it. Uh, Anyway, uh, there will be. It does look very nice. I have to say. It does look very nice. Uh, um, There'll be links to all these Kickstarters uh, and other stuff we've talked about in the show notes. And I'd like to say that it of, of all the Kickstarters I've looked at, it's probably got the longest scroll length ever I've ever come across. Yeah. So there's a lot of information and pictures and stuff. Um, but yeah, as of recording, which is Friday afternoon, they've got 28 days to go. They're at about £14,000. So they've got their pledge already comfortably. And they've got plenty of time left to go. I might... So I'm, I'm still waiting, obviously, for troubleshooters to turn up. <laughs> this one, this one has a feeling to me of a similar kind of um, draw to troubleshooters. So if I back it, I'll be backing it for the same kind of nostalgic reasons that I back troubleshooters. But in the end, having spoken to to, to Krista, um, I can't wait for troubleshooters to arrive now. So yes. um, let's see, let's see. So I stay may... strong. I'm not backing it. It's a dice pool system with a calamity dice. And the calamity dice works a little bit like a stress dice in um, in Alien. Uh, Alien. Yeah. In the, if it rolls a one, bad stuff happens. Calamity! Yes. Uh, but yeah, it's calamity. I don't know how easy it is to die in this game. I feel dying isn't quite the point, but um, no. situation's getting worse, maybe. It also I mean, has uh, so game, Star Trek with the IP filed off. Um, it's a, so it's a game of action supplement. comedy. So action comedy doesn't tend to be very, you know, no one died in Ghostbusters. Uh, yeah. Only the bad guys died in Indiana Jones, um, except for Denholm Elliott, when sadly Denholm Elliott died and had to write him out of whichever movie it was. Yeah. Uh, so the, this It's not a movie we speak of. There are only three movies <laughs> in the Indiana Jones you know, Yeah, they're talking of doing a fifth. Yeah, no, no. This is a uh, this this may be a thing they talk about. They talked about doing a fourth, no. but they never so, actually did it. Remember that. So, so the fifth one I hear on the grapevine is called um, Indiana Jones and the Smell of His Own Piss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's no uh, way to talk about our hero. Um, what's his well, name? Well, it will Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. It will be if he's foolish enough or you know persuaded enough to do another movie. Because well, he's, he's, you know, he, he can't be an action hero anymore, you know. And they tried in the unspeakable film to put in somebody else as a replacement action hero. It didn't really work, did it? Um, that didn't work, no. 
So, oh whatever. Yeah, that it, wouldn't have worked if they'd done it. But thank God, everybody involved in the project suddenly walked away from it. Remember that? <laughs> just, just so you could sleep sleep at night. It was all yeah. over variety. They said we thought about it, we thought exactly how it would look, and we decided we wouldn't do it. That's what they yeah. said. It didn't really work. Or, or, okay, it wouldn't have worked as a 1960s style, does it? It's definitely a 1930s or early 40s kind of uh, kind of genre. Doesn't work in the 60s. Yeah. If you did it now, it would be like in the 80s, you know, yeah. or, even, or even a bit later, you know, Indiana Jones in Vietnam or Indiana Jones in... Um, so I, I just know. want to point out, Vietnam was before the 80s, not later. I know it was. I know. I know full well that it was. <laughs> that um, would be Indiana Jones's Desert Shield, which... Uh, well, Desert Shield was well, after... Well, would work. Desert Shield was after, after Desert the Shield 80s. might work, because so you be in... deserts quite a lot. There's archaeology. Yeah, let's go with that. But Indiana Jones and the and the um, Tehran hostages. Indiana Jones and the Tehran hostages? No, Argo, that's already been done. <laughs> Anyway, I think we've flogged I this think we've particular gone, we, topic. We've flogged to, this um, horse. So, anyway, its um, awfully cheerful engine. It's got 28 days to go. If you like the idea of it, guys, go and back it. I think it's probably going to be a lot of fun. Yes. Okay, now what are we looking at? We are looking at um, some actual content that we've prepared for <laughs> this episode. Indeed. Yay us. Well done you, Dave. I don't Yay. often say well done you, but I Yay never say... Us. Well done, you. Yeah, us. Yep. It was me. me that made you do it. I guilt-tripped you into it. Anyway. Um, well, the, I didn't one help of, you one do of, it. One of the great things about it was it has allowed me to dive back into uh, the, the campaign that I ran all those years ago of Mutant New Zero and reminded me of how much I love that game. Um But yeah, so do you want to hear what I had to say? We ought to explain that this is why this episode is called how it all started, or whatever we called this episode. Back to where it all began. Back to where it all began. Because this is where it all began, isn't it? Mutant Year Zero. It, it all began, I, I, it all began in, I, still, I can still image the moment in my mind, in Orc's Nest, before Christmas, going through games I've never heard of, pulling out this game called Mutant Year Zero, going, hmm, never heard of this one. Looks all right, I'll give it a try. And here we are. And here we are. Let's uh, run VT, as they say in the television. <laughs> okay. Chen, Animal, and Raven stood atop the ruined hydroelectric dam. What passes home for them and the other mutants? It was a gloomy grey day, low, bobbling clouds, and the hint of rain in the air. But there was also the hint of something else a sound from the south. A rumbling, not unlike the call of thunder, but not the same either. And soon it was upon them. Craning their necks to scan the clouds, they caught a glimpse of something cutting through them. A long, grey-silver tube, pointed at one end and quivering on wings, not unlike the scavenger birds that flew high in the sunny skies. But this wasn't so graceful. Spluttering noise slapped the ground, and smoke filled the air as the silver rocket passed overhead, circling the arc once, then turned to head south again. And then it was gone. The mutants immediately formed a scouting party, and within a few weeks Chen had led them to the cliff edge far to the south. The skies had cleared, and they could see for miles, miles further than they'd ever seen before. 
and there, in the far distance, stood the only speck of clean, pristine landscape across the entire ruined zone. It was a city, standing tall, with a hazy glow of energy about it, and the colour of the rocket that had passed over them so recently. Could this be the fabled Eden that the Elder had spoken of? But surely that was far away, and not so easy to reach. Well, whatever it was, this place had to be scouted and explored. At the worst, it must be a better place to live than the Ark in the Dam. This hope, this jewel, this silver city. My first Mutant Year Zero campaign was some years ago, and was the inaugural game for my then nascent weekly gaming group down the pub. It was great fun. The Ark was an old dam. It's designed based loosely on a much scaled down version of the Hoover Dam. But the zone was based on a real location, the real Vazaska Dam in Switzerland, and we all loved the campaign. The Silver City was the start of a long campaign arc, with the option, in my mind, that the players might end up moving the whole arc there in due course. It didn't quite work out that way, and ultimately saw the end for the PCs and their arc in their entirety. But here it is, the Mutant Year Zero zone location, the Silver City. The Silver City has been around for a long time, but no one knows whether it was a place that survived the apocalypse, thanks to its great and wonderful technology, or whether it rose from the ashes, some knowledge or advance surviving the end times and giving the inhabitants a critical advantage. It was once inhabited by people who jealously protected themselves, their homes and their technology from the mutants that roamed the zone. They developed advanced automatons to guard them and fulfil their every need. After a time, these automatons outnumbered their masters and did everything for them. There are differing theories for what happened next. The first theory says that the automatons got wise and grew tired of being nothing but slaves for the people. How they dealt with their masters is another matter of debate. Some suggest the automatons took against them, hunting the people down and killing them, or rounding them up like sheep and throwing them out of the paradise that they'd created, to die or to throw themselves on the mercy of the mutants that they had long despised and ignored. Others believe that the automatons just waited, knowing their masters would die out eventually, and their inevitable revolution took decades to play out. And others say that the automatons didn't actively connive at their masters' extermination. They just locked all the doors and stopped helping them, leaving them to die of thirst and hunger. The second theory tells of the people waking up to the danger they'd created and taking steps to deactivate the automatons, only for them to resist their own extermination. And the final theory says that despite the best efforts of both the people and the automatons working in harmony in concert, something happened and the people died out to the sorrow of the automatons. But what happened next? The Silver City became a city of robots, going through the motions and staying exactly the same, day after day, year after year, decade after decade. The city worked perfectly in the care of the automatons. Its wide and beautiful plazas were well tended and watered. The artwork restored and lovingly cared for. The city's power systems 
drawing energy from deep below the crust and sucking power from sunlight itself through every window and panel, was inexhaustible, as long as the automatons were there to maintain them. The halls were clean and bright, the homes ready for new inhabitants, the city's glowing energy shields shining silver in the sun and protecting it from inclement weather and uninvited guests. But then finally, the automatons started reaching out into the zone, sending their automated silver rocket planes to scout for life. Now why, after all this time, would they do this? Again, several theories abound. First, perhaps they were becoming lonely and tired of a life that promised nothing more than maintaining the status quo, of simply existing and waiting for a future that was unknown and unknowable. Perhaps they were looking for companionship to fill the void left by the people, however they died all those years ago. Or maybe they'd grown so tired of the mutants, the rock ghouls, and the other things bothering them, that they finally decided to cleanse the zone so they could live in peace. Searching for concentrations of vermin with their rocket planes was just the first step in their plan to kill every living thing that could ever disturb their peace again. A third theory tells that the automaton paradise wasn't all it was cracked up to be. The automatons were undoubtedly expert at repairing and maintaining the city, but their attempts to repair and maintain one another were a dismal failure. Their nuanced positronic pathways were too complicated for an automaton mind, lacking the organic imagination and intuition to fully comprehend and repair. So inexplicably, the automatons, once believed to be all but immortal, were dying. Thus began the desperate search for people or mutants or anyone who could repair their withering minds and save their kind from extinction. The rocket planes head into the zone, looking for any signs of civilization, to bring them to the Silver City and assess them for the skills and knowledge to fix their ailing brains. Any person found that meets the automaton's criteria is given, not offered, but given, a life at Silver City beyond their wildest dreams, as long as they fulfil their side of the bargain. Those who don't reach that exalted level are in for a different experience. Their minds are migrated into the Silver City's collective systems, and their withered and wasted bodies are dumped outside the shield. I'd like to point out that I ran this campaign before Mutant Mechatron came out, so you could easily run the automatons as a variety of security robots, battle robots, cleaning and industrial robots. For the city itself, I used London's Canary Wharf as inspiration. A few big shiny towers with wide plazas and water features, with rocket plane hangars at the top of the towers and a glimmering silver glow for the shield. Obviously, you can make your silver city as big or as small as you like, but that size of about 500 metres square worked well for me. In my campaign, I'd also placed it beside a huge lake. For those who are interested, it was placed right where the Ancona Golf Club is, just south of Locarno. I took my inspiration for the rocket plane from the old 1950s Flash Gordon series that I loved when I was a kid. They are controlled by an automaton intelligence contained inside a large egg-shaped device that sits in a depression in the cockpit controls. It's warm to the touch, but cannot communicate other than back with its own kind. If the PCs find a rocket plane and remove this, the other automatons will want to get their friend back. 
The rocket plane's autopilots are, however, lesser AIs than the other automata, and could be confused into taking the PC's instructions about where to fly. However, this is going to be hard, and will take a comprehend roll at minus two, followed by a jury rig roll at minus one, and then a successful inspire roll. If this is all successful, the autopilot will take them to a destination of their choosing. However, if they want to take another flight, they will need to go through the whole process again. After three flights like this, the autopilot will need fuel and will automatically return to Silver City. The automatons are bulky, silver and featureless, and they are searching for things of value and strength. Any life they find that exhibits weakness will either be ignored by them or will be destroyed out of hand. They carry laser rifles that have 12 charges before they are exhausted. They gain a plus two gear bonus and can be fired in low energy, mid energy or high energy modes. These cost two, three and four charges respectively. And the beam changes color from green to blue to violet as the charge increases. It takes one maneuver to change the charge setting and this happens with a buzzing sound, a bright glow from the weapon and a large gear cog at the base of the barrel shifts around to the right setting. At the lower setting, the weapon does two points of stun damage, which applies as fatigue rather than damage, which means it comes off agility and not strength. At the mid setting, the damage caused is three, and that's taken from a combination of agility and strength. The high setting is to kill, and that does four damage, which is taken all from strength. The Silver City Shield isn't intended to kill, but to stun. Anyone passing through it without wearing a protective helmet, which can only be provided by the automatons, must make a test against either empathy or wits, whichever is lower, at minus three dice, with a minimum of one die. If this is failed, the victim is rendered unconscious for 2d6 minutes, just enough time for the automatons to deal with the interlopers, one way or another. Anyone brought back to the Silver City by the automatons will undergo a series of stringent tests to gauge their intelligence and potential value to the community. Those who succeed can look forward to a long life in comfort and captivity, as long as they satisfy their new masters of their ongoing usefulness. Those who fail, however, have a much shorter outlook to look forward to. Okay, there's... um. Two things I want to discuss here, actually. The first one is your very first paragraph references the name of the character that I created for this campaign, but never played because in the end, I thought driving up around, around London every Thursday wasn't the thing I particularly wanted to do. Uh, was that Raven then, yours? That was Raven, yeah. Uh, Did she become an NPC or something? No, I just looked through some of the old character sheets to get some names. That was all. <laughs> <laughs> completely forgotten it was yours. Well, um, that's why you've got my character sheet there. She's untouched. But I'm yes. glad to see that retrospectively, she had a part to play in the adventure. <laughs> um, uh, cool. Yes. Okay. That's answered one burning question. The other one is you <laughs> say uh, that their discovery of the Silver City actually brought about the end of the campaign. They didn't move their arc to the Silver City as you were thinking they might. Yeah. But in actually they the whole campaign came to an end. Was the Silver City the cause of that ending? 
It was, yes, rather sadly. So um, the, the the piece there, I've, I've given lots of different options of kind of the history and how Silver City came about, and then some options for, um, for GMs to uh, play it in different ways. So... Um, yeah, there's quite a quite a range of stuff there. Hopefully, so people can can turn it if they want to use it for for their campaign. But for my campaign, the um, the automatons had reached the point where they were beginning to to fail, and they were out looking for people, um, for anyone desperately to try and uh, be able to repair them and give them mm. give them more life. And so they were very much of the where we're looking for people, if they pass the test, then they basically become our prisoners. If they fail the test, then um, they get absorbed into the system and they get killed. And the players, again, they, they saw the... So the, so the point... Um, uh, the, the situation happened right at the start of the, of the piece where they saw the, the rocket flying over. That happened mm-hmm. in the campaign. That rocket crash-landed somewhere away to the north. And they went off and uh, investigated it. That gave them some clues that there might have been this place to the south. And then later in the campaign, they they then decided to go and try and find it. And on their way there, they came across another rocket plane, which they managed to flag down and it landed. And um, because they had the the autopilot from the first one and the automatons were out looking for it because obviously it was lost. Um, The automatons then decided that most of them were, were terribly weak and um, tried to kill a couple of them. Uh, they managed to defeat the automobile, got on board the rocket plane, and the rocket plane then took off on autopilot, heading straight back for Silver City. And they decided to go with it. And when they got there, they were, they were all basically subjected to the tests. And mm-hmm. these are a bunch of riddles, basically, that I'd yeah, found off the internet. So basic things that you, everyone will have heard of at some point. But very few of us, or certainly me, I always forget what the answers are. Mm-hmm. And the, the upshot was that one of them was sufficiently uh, intelligent, intelligent, but the others were going to be um, were going to be absorbed and killed. And they ended up having a, uh, I think it must have been Morgan's character, Chen, who was the gearhead, who was the one that they were going to keep. And he wasn't prepared to cooperate if the others weren't allowed to live. And they, they ended up having a big fight and they lost the fight. <laughs> so somewhere in Silver City, Chen is in a in a cell, either working for them or or not. And all the others were killed. Wiped out TPK almost. Well, yes. effectively well, as, TPK, because I guess being enslaved and no longer being able to be played by the character no, indeed, is pretty as, much. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was how it ended. And it, it was um, it was quite a long campaign in the end. We we ran it for a, for a, for a few months, and mm. I think weekly every week was that or fortnightly um, or what? Uh, it, well, it turned out it was something like ten or twelve episodes, and we were probably playing fortnightly at the time. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also were moving on to wanting to play Coriolis, so actually oh, right. yes. their conclusion was quite a good one at that point. And then we moved on and played Coriolis with the uh, the Spectre Corsair campaign for a long time, um, but I, I I I so it's interesting that if I digress slightly, we've been doing Alien the Colony, and we've been playing that every fortnight, um, mm-hmm. West March's style game. I've been finding that really hard as a GM to come up with 
what I think are interesting and uh, exciting stories for each week with, um, you know, with the overarching kind of campaign arc that I've got in mind. And I fear that I might end up doing kind of the same thing a bit too often. You know, let's go on a science thing. Oh, there's something bad happens. We have to deal with a problem and oh, we find something interesting. Or, you know, somebody needs rescuing or whatever. <clears throat> mm-hmm. what, what I do need to do, actually, is put a bit more pressure on you guys, the players, to tell me what you want to do. And I can then base my scenarios off some of your player character aspirations. Rather okay, than... well, I can tell you straight away, Inspector Shu is going to try and do some network analysis and work out who these two um, suspects we have just caught yeah. have been working with yeah, i'm so all if, about the internal corruption i don't care about the outside my job's inside the colony <laughs> and uh, the safety of the people sorry i'm no, just i've no, got to say cool. that in that's while cool. we were chatting um but the thing that the, the the point i was reaching with that digression is that actually a game like mutant year zero if you are producing a scenario every fortnight feels much easier to do than something like alien um and i'm not sure why well, I seem to remember. Can I can I hazard a thing? I I yeah, haven't of played it. I don't. I don't think I've even read Mutant Year Zero, at least not all the way through. Um, but I vaguely remember that it was meant to be a kind of weirdly, shall I say, macro hex crawly thing, and that you were kind of you roll a zone randomly. People go out and into that zone, and uh, whatever random adventure happens happens. Yeah. <clears throat> and is yeah. that the way you played it generally? Um, yes, pretty much. Now, I, I, as a GM, didn't enjoy rolling up the, the, the zones the, um, at the table because I, th- I thought that mm-hmm. felt like too much dice rolling. So the the players would give me an idea of what they wanted to do in the next scenario. I would then pre-roll the zones and then they would go yeah. into that and have their adventure. Right at the start, I obviously had to kick off with something to get things going and there was a there was a thief in the ark and they had to go after the thief and recover the item that he'd stolen but that then just kicked off kicked off the campaign you know from there so they were then beginning to explore the world around them so mm. in that sense it's it's easy to just randomly roll up a a, a situation or a scenario you know a bit like um an adventure site in forbidden lands you know you can yeah. roll that up and yeah. build a scenario from it um, Which, you know, and magically when you do that, this is something I do have experience in, it seems to fit the story or you can mould it quite easily to fit the story that your players are already involved in. It has surprisingly worked very well, hasn't it? I think certainly mm. in Forbidden Lands. I've, I've felt less comfortable as a GM doing it with Mutant simply because I fear the risk that it'll become a bit of a damp squib mm. or it'll just be go into the zone, find the bad things in it and fight them. Um, which then again just becomes a little bit, a bit you know, mono, mono thematic as it were. Um, but with Alien, I just feel I feel the pressure for it to be cleverer, if if that makes sense. <laughs> I'm finding um, it suitably clever. Are you, you? I don't know whether um, you feel you haven't done a good enough job, but just in case you feel you haven't done a good enough job. I loved last night's adventure. Everybody, watch it on the YouTubes. I it may appear on the Effect 
AP podcast at some point in the far distant future, but I'm enthusiastic <laughs> about it now. It was a great adventure, kind of a bottle episode. We we're almost in one room, let alone in the colony. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was tension. You punched me, Dave. You punched me. Your NPC punched me, obviously. And you didn't uh, punch me back. And I didn't punch you back, no. And also, it, it, that felt like drama. It felt like I could be watching that on TV. Yeah. I loved it. I really yeah, loved yesterday's episode. I think it's great. So you're doing good enough job. No, good, good, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think so far the, the feedback and everyone's really enjoyed it all the way so far. Um, but I think just in creating the scenarios, I feel greater pressure to make them cleverer than just like a go into the zone and kill the, the rock girls. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, um, but yeah, so it's given me the chance to have a have a, a look through Mutant Zero again, and it reminded me how good a game it is, and how how much I enjoy it. And you know, all the later things that Free League are doing, obviously, are getting an awful lot of attention. Uh, you know, Alien, obviously, Twilight Two Thousand, you know, publishing the One Ring, all these things deserve that attention. I would I would like there to be a kind of a bit of a retro moment for some Free League fans, mm. um, maybe who haven't been fans of free league for that long just to go back and have a look particularly at, at mutant year zero i mean there are four books that are, are are all in the same universe you've got that you've got gen lab alpha which you're going to talk about next time aren't you matthew all the um, time after that one of the two i'm sure <laughs> um and then you've got mechatron and then elysium and yeah i i think you know mutant and year there's zero, ad astra vaguely planned hmm when when Free League got a spare moment. Yeah, I don't know much about that, frankly, but uh I think it's in orbit. Right. So have to wait and is, see. Is it gonna be Eden Eden, maybe then? Yeah. Um but you obviously don't need all four books. You can take no, any of each, those books. Each yourself and it's just, absolutely. And but then you can run it's like I said in the piece, um, you know, I did all this stuff with the the automatons before Mutant Mechatron came out. And Mechatron is a great game, it's got a lovely like, dynamic for the characters. Um, for for building your yeah. intelligent robots, and um, or you, you could know, have self, you could self-aware robots, just slot them in, couldn't you? Completely, one hundred percent, yeah. yeah. Um, but I recommend, yeah, go back, have a look, and enjoy uh, enjoy some of their earlier work as well as their later work. Yes, uh, well, I, 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 you know, I promise that I will get to. Um, get to uh, <laughs> Gen Lab Alpha. We've just been really incredibly busy. and uh, mm. But I, you know, I was slightly inspired, but I've only got it on PDF because I kind of missed the print version of that. But I, I, I'm kind of inspired by it and I would like the opportunity to give it a proper read and, and we'll talk about it some more. Maybe yeah. even run a game or two. That would be good. I'd love to play it, actually. Right now, we are coming to the end of our allotted time, oh ye of little faith. <laughs> And uh, and I think we've only got about five minutes to talk about uh, my excuses and your excuses are not delivering on what we promised we'd deliver this episode, which is that we have been doing quite a lot of reading. Although I did, de- to... I, I, that's I did deliver on my promise for this episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we didn't <laughs> deliver. And we're a but... team, Dave. <laughs> There's no I There in is team. no I in team. <laughs> but there is me. Uh, <laughs> anyway. And... Uh, Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so we've, we've been doing a lot of reading. One of the, are we allowed to talk about what we've been reading? We haven't signed an NDA for Vason, have we? 
I don't know. I, I think we're probably okay as long as they don't spill any well, we any. definitely any shouldn't secrets. do any spoilers or something. No. But we've been looking at what is currently called Vason Mythic Britain and Ireland, I believe. Yeah, although I think the title isn't definitely finalised yet. Means, no. And I, I did recommend um, a, a, a suggestion, which uh, which I haven't heard back from yet. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, you've been reading the sort of uh, well, you, you you've read the majority of the book except for the adventures. Uh, I've read the adventures and play tested one of them, um, and it's great. I've got to say, I very much enjoyed. I, I chose particularly an adventure that felt very not like other mm-hmm. Nordic Vesson uh, 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 adventures, and I was suitably rewarded by that. We had a great experience. It went on for three sessions, which is a bit longer than I intended, yeah. but I did the full thing from, you know, the whole the whole proper structure, which generally when I'm doing online I don't do, and that was yeah. all good. Players loved it. They had some interesting feedback on that one, and in a way I felt that was the one that needed the most feedback. When I then went and looked to see whether the same issues were problems in the other two adventures, they weren't. One one of the other two is pretty damn perfect. I hardly (laughs) caught it at all. And great. You know, if if I hadn't run, if I hadn't been inspired by the one that I ran, then um, this other one would have been really good fun i'm sure yeah uh and the third one is more like a nordic uh adventure and but there's no harm in that we enjoy vason quite a lot so yeah love it yeah good too um now uh, what do we say about the rest what do you want to say well it's to say you know like being 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 particularly busy so i yeah i love working on on um mythic britain and ireland uh, it's it's actually it's really really well written. Um, I made a few suggestions whether they'll get taken up or not is entirely up to to Nilsson Graham. But um, yeah, it's a it's a really nice thing. But but obviously you know it, it's brilliant having the opportunity to do some of this work. I've also been um, kind of slightly behind on some of the stuff that I've sort of committed to do for Firelock, particularly mm-hmm. for War Stories, and I managed to catch up with some of that earlier this week, which was great. And um, I've still got more, more outstanding stuff, which I should have been doing some today, but I haven't had a chance to uh, to do any. No, because but... you've been catching up on today's homework. Well done, you. Stop <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm going to but... stop thanking you in a bit. No, okay. Well, keep going for the moment. Um, but uh, so so that's brilliant, and I'm loving it. It's just uh, it, it it does make us pretty busy. And then the it's like I said. And the other it, thing it, I've it, been doing as well is I've been writing adventure for Coriolis again for Free League. A sort of mm. convention adventure, a uh, uh, Coriolis sampler, which has been great yes. fun. We've based that on the uh, adventure I've been promising uh, a long-term listeners for some time, which is the uh, the song of the siren, the adventure that we played a couple of years ago now. <laughs> and yeah. this is I, I've shrunk this down to the core, effectively the final scene. Um, uh, you know, so it can be played in two hours, and I play tested that on. Wednesday and that went really well. In, I particularly enjoyed the fact that we ended three minutes before the end of two hours <laughs> in a relaxed way. Didn't rush it at all. You know, it, everything took its time. It felt right, so yeah. that's good. I need to do some fettling on that because um, I realised. Well, for a start, um, I hate the way it's organised, and given that I know mm. the adventure because I wrote it, I thought somebody coming to this adventure 
uh, fresh would would hate me for writing it. So <laughs> I need I need to do some changes there. Well, it's and interesting. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's quite what um, Matthias Lilla Lil. <clears throat> so that again, Matthias Lilia's uh, structural approach to a Coriolis scenario is. But I know the approach for an alien scenario is very strict. And, mm. you know, it's it can be quite difficult sometimes where you are, um, uh, there's, there's an event or, a, a, or an incident that happens in a location and then that has to be recorded under the location's information. And then you've got an event that will probably happen in one location, but it might happen anywhere else. That has to be pulled out as an event, in the which, is put at, which is put at the end of the, of the thing. And that took a little bit of getting used to. Um, hopefully, yeah. I don't think Thomas got too frustrated with me, but the number of times I think, you know, me and Drew as well got told, this is an event, put it in the events, or this is a location, stick it in the location. Um, Thomas mm. must get fed up with saying that. <laughs> yeah. No, but, I think it, I think it's true. And actually, um, what I've done then, and I've realised I might well have done it wrong, uh, so it's just as well I'm fixing it, uh, which is that I moved all the locate. I moved all the events out into a separate event section. I didn't leave the ones that are related to a location in the location. And then when I was running it, I was like, "Ah, oh, bloody hell! I've got to scroll through mm. this PDF to find the event." Um, so I'm going to move them back into the locations, which sounds like that's probably actually what um, uh, what Thomas likes, and possibly what Matthias. That's certainly how it applies for Alien. I don't know whether whether their 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 principles for Coriolis are a little bit different. They 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 might be, but yeah. Um, you know, well, it I was do, like that in the last draft of the text that I sh- showed Matthias, yeah. and then in the most recent version that you proofread, I'd move them all to the end, and yeah. I think I'll move them all back now. I do have to say, it was um, I I got it because of you know my 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 experience working on Alien, but I think yeah, it probably would make sense to you know those yeah. events that specifically happen in a particular place, stick them under the place. And particularly if you're a convention DM, you want it to be simple. Yeah. You know, yeah. you want it to be easy and um, and it wasn't. And the other yeah. thing I just would just add into that, if you're a convention GM and you're showing off Coriolis, one of the aspects <sighs> which I think should be shown off is the value of preparatory prayer. And yeah. um, I think I want to add a few words in at the beginning that, that kind of says, right, now suggest to your players that their characters might want to pray to the audience. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and and maybe do a little bit of explanation about that, so that you know, new just, people coming to a convention table the first time, never having played Coriolis before, get confronted by that wonderful bonus, which they will need actually, because mm. we re- got re- close to killing characters. Uh, e- well, excellent. Um, remind me. Um, so I didn't see the characters when I did the proofread for you. Are you going to be putting in a little bit of bio and background because you could use that um, for each character to stress? the religious nature of the game and the... I have got a little bit. It's not something that stresses that at the moment, no. but it could do. Just a thought. Um, so that's, that's kind of the player instructions. And when it comes to a, a convention game, that's quite, it could be quite important. Yeah. I mean, the, it, what they do have is they do all have a uh, kind of something like agenda so that yeah. they're all coming to it with different, different bits of the whole picture. Yeah, yeah, and they don't see the whole picture until they all start talking to each other. Mm. Um, yeah, cool. but, um, but anyway, so, it's cool. Um, so the other thing, uh, I was... Matthias liked it, um, so that's good. That's good. Yeah, excellent. It is, and it's a great little scenario, and I really love playing it 
when we played it. And uh, I think it'd make a great con game. Yeah, really yeah. nice. Um, the other thing I was going to say was I've obviously been, still been doing quite a lot of Tales of the Old West stuff. Now, I haven't had a chance to actually write any more up um, on version 0.4, but I do have pretty much all of the text that I want to change um, already written. So from that last cool. couple yes. of weeks when I had to go in Indeed, it, you gave them um, to me to read, and I haven't read them yet. Yeah. That's among the other things that I haven't read in the last couple yeah. of weeks, you bastard. But, <laughs> but it's also, um, it's been a really good opportunity for me to do lots of reading um, and learn lots about, uh, you know, Western history and the experience of Native Americans and others. I just wanted to mention one thing, which is not really to do with gaming. It's just a bit of a gripe. Um, so I, I got a book called Undaunted Courage by Stephen Ambrose. And Stephen Ambrose has written all the books around um, Band of Brothers and he's written one about D-Day. And his books are very focused on the individual experience, and they're, they're, they tend to be really well written, and um, yeah, a you know an easy read and a good way of getting into the topic. So I've got this. It's very very big. It's got a lot of. It's it's a big book for for what it is. And this book is is talking. It's it's recounting the um, Lewis and Clark exploration in eighteen o four, west of the the Mississippi, and I'm about sixty or seventy pages in, and he. He obviously thinks that Lewis and Thomas Jefferson, for sure, were the most perfect human beings the world has ever seen. Because <laughs> it's nothing but an essay on how fucking wonderful they were. They, they haven't done anything wrong. They can't do anything wrong. Their judgment is perfect. And, you know, all this, that and the other. And for the first time reading a Stephen Ambrose book, I'm, I'm questioning his, his balance. Mm. Um, in terms of his historical integrity. So I just wanted to put that out there because I'm reading that for background information on the West and Lewis and Clark, I thought was probably a good thing uh, yeah. to learn more about. <clears throat> but I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself flipping through the pages quickly just to get to the exploration because I'm a bit fed up with him telling me how wonderful Jefferson and Lewis were. Mm -hmm. How perfect. Yeah. And, uh, he had, it is he had, a danger he had, of history, isn't he, it? He, somebody, you know, well, somebody gets into their subject and um, yeah, and falls in love with them, and then writes a hagiography. Ha what is it called? What's the word I'm looking for? I think that's right. Hagiography. I think it's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm going to keep reading it, and I've, I've always, I've loved this stuff he's done before, and it might be. I mean, I know very little about Thomas Jefferson other than who he was, and um. Um, Merriweather Lewis it might be that this is a balanced account because I've got no other accounts to to, to, to um, does it to, talk to, about to draw his from. record as a slave owner it does it does mention the slave owning um, in it, it feels to me in a slightly hand wavy kind of way um, it, it does also say that um, America in the early 1800s was um, a free and democratic country, which I kind of thought was possibly over-egging it slightly if you mm. were a Native American or, or an African American. Or black, at the time. yes. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, if you were a Virginian plantation owner, then yes, maybe it was a free and democratic country. Um, but yeah, I, I'm also conscious that I'm not American and I don't know the history of this terribly well. No. So I, I don't want to inadvertently offend anybody who knows it much better than I do. Um which has always been our case as we've been writing Toto. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. Um, 
we are uh, well uh, approaching an hour of recording time, so um, well, we did us. want to talk about some other stuff, uh, but I wonder whether we should talk about that in the next episode. Yeah, I it think so. It goes on from, from this, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, I'm going to be strict so. and, and say that maybe that's something we'll do then. I'm just checking my diary, because I write in my diary potential things that might be happening when, when new episodes are coming up. Um, and I think next episode is going to feature an interview with Eric Grandstrom, which we're recording next week. Ah, yes. Yeah, you see, it's just as well I check my diary because now Asleem, I can say, isn't it? in two weeks' time, we are talking about the upcoming Asleen yep. um, campaign for Forbidden Lands. So we're probably yeah. not going to be talking about um, uh, Genlab Alpha in uh, that time. And uh, we'll also, I think, talk a little bit about a, a discussion that we've been having on Facebook with some of our friends there about, you know, breaking into the industry and and doing stuff like that. A bit of development do that? kind of experience. Yeah. Yeah. As, yeah. as kind of new freelancers, I think that's that might be an interesting conversation. Yes. Brilliant. So, um, so uh, that's it. That's the end cool. of this episode. Apart from saying goodbye, Dave. <laughs> goodbye, Matthew. Uh, goodbye, Dave. No, um, uh, let's say goodbye to our audience. Uh, it's a goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. <laughs>